Maybe people would be smarter if historians had hype men. <laughs> so, in the year 1867, they decided yeah, to pass. <laughs> yeah, no, I see. I get what you mean. I think it tracks. It definitely tracks. Welcome, welcome, welcome nerds and nerdettes, welcome obscurials of all shapes and flavors. You're listening to the, the Nerd, Nerd Obscurial Podcast. Podcast. Hi, I'm Eric. And the Oklahoma kid is just keeping it, keeping it real, because that's the deal that we made. It's how the game is played. You best better believe, son, that I'm getting paid here, making the girls cheer. Other MCs all running in fear from a rhyme so fierce they were danger to hear, because like Mike Tyson, they'll bite off your ear. New news or old news? You know, like there's a when they new have news? like meetings and stuff. There's always like you the old and the new, and kind of always decided uh, which right, goes. You asked me to, okay, new news. Okay, um, this podcast because we haven't really talked about this off mic too much. I'm almost thinking like if we do the two segments that I've proposed, it does sound like the worst conversation you ever got caught at, at like a party with a really drunk guy. It's like, we're going to talk NFTs and religion, dude. <laughs> yes. And um, <clears throat> and maybe we'll play some Minecraft afterwards. Maybe. Like, this is a nightmare. I need to leave. Well, and also I, uh, I noted on the last release that actually went out to the public, you were talking about the, the website still not being up, even though it's like how many episodes in, um, which I thought was really funny. And uh, I think really shows that like it's probably going to be about 2026 when this one gets released. And what's going to be really funny is that by 2026, I believe Oklahoma will actually not be here. It will just be like a a robot that he builds that will press his responses because he already has all of the audio already laid out. It's already in the works. He just needs someone to run run the ones and twos on your side. Yeah, just a little like robot arm. It's like yeah, yeah. Response here, Zach Braff. Yeah, no, but it wouldn't be the robot voice. Oh, it'd be clips. It'd be sound clips of me. He'd be pressing the button of sound clips of you, and you wouldn't have to 
to be here at all. <laughs> That's the dream, right? That's where this is all going. Well, that was old news, I guess. Just listening to the yeah the most recent release. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I kind of want to know what your thoughts were. If it's going to be a special or is this going to be an episode? What? Because it will dictate what the intro does. I assumed we were recording an episode. The way you described it to me, right? Yes, this would be an episode. Right. I'm pitching the possibility of a of a special on on the merits of the two segments being like a Uh, drunken bro. Then what? uh, Nah, that's that's kind of a thin thing to hang the (laughs) hang that on. It's a hang a special like this is a special all on this like. Yeah, and also we need to really see how it plays out for the fact that. It could be something which is like one of those actually worked and it's a short thing. And then like the rest of the episode is just like weird Minecraft stuff. That's also a very big possibility. So yeah, we'll keep it at an episode and that's behind the curtains right there. I feel like, you know what we should do? We should have it be like mystery science theater style maybe at least for an episode or an episode or something like that mm. and have it be us coming in all the time like as historical context and footnotes you know like have particular music go on to just have it be like a few sentences are uttered and then a the music goes on and like whole other different voices come up like we're from the year 3000 and we're giving historical context to what's going on in this scene like we like this was a Library of Congress, Horton Barker, 1900 traditional song that was found. Right. And we're here yeah. like explaining it to a class of why this thing is important. But the thing we're explaining is this. Is the, is the, is the autosode. Yeah. Yeah. So would you do like random things to be going on in the background autosode that's like being analyzed? Or would it always be like the same segment? Like, no, it would be a lot of gags. I think for me would be like um, what we're talking about off mic with the idea of like the the traditional twerk and its interpretation for mm-hmm. the twentieth, you know, twentieth century right. audience. The way that like you, it would interpret uh, Tudor clothing styles, the Jacobian collar, you know, explaining why they had that, explain why, you know. So you you have to like explain gangster rap maybe in a section or. So my question then is, would you have like the same, the autosode that the year 3000 people are commenting on? Yeah. Would that one be like the same segment every time? Like we just had this one piece of audio and it you'd, each each time it would be the same. We would only record one autosode segment to be the background one that they're talking about. Right. And every time it would be someone finding, talking about some other bit from that and going off on like how that, you know, like how the people can write like a poem, you know, people will have different papers all on the same poem, like interpreting, you know, uh, you know, one Shakespearean sonnet, you know, and would it be like this, that like where it's be, be like, it's all on this one particular, like, Oh, I got gotcha. specific recorded file, you know, the autosode we did on such and such. And, but it's everybody's different thesis on what, how to interpret that, that podcast or like using it for different to, um, for like different topics, like how it applies to race relations, how it applies to the, you know, uh, sex gender stuff at the time. Like, you know, all these different topics. Actually, what I would love is to even make it go deeper than that and have it be like, a, 
a, a Sappho fragment where actually they didn't get all the audio and they just have this little bit to go off of. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like I, like Sappho is very famous that she, we don't have a collected work and piece of her, even though, you know, she's uh pretty well known. And yeah, this the different fragments. I think it'd be just be fun for like the classic nerds of me to like play off of a lot of the cliches within that medium. Mm-hmm. I do think there, there's also in the conversation, if you want to be, if you don't want to get so microcosm about it and build it out a little bit more, Richard Ayaudi, mm-hmm. um, Zabu from the Mighty Boosh. Right. Uh, he was also in the It Club and, you know, a, a British comedian who's got a lot of success over there in Britain. But he did a whole book what is where it was him interviewing himself. But like the the conceit of the book mm-hmm. was that like, he was interviewing himself the same way that some guy was doing a book on Martin Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola or like some like big time mm-hmm. thing. And so he's like playing and poking fun at all the tropes used there right. and stuff. And I think you could do a, a thing as well of, you know, playing on that, like a real hero worship kind of thing or uh, the uh, inside the actor studio. What's his name? James Lipton. James Lipton. Doing something there, if you want to do a little bit more microcosm, like talking about how much it changed the world, uh, being like really hyperbolic about mm-hmm. the influence of the podcast on the public, you know, ad hoc, if you will, is another way of going about it. Yeah. Those are, I think, the two extremes. I feel like you would get less out of that one than the than the scholarship one, where it's like the people from 3000, because like I said, you'd have all these different kind of angles and and schools of thought that that could be you know applying their criticism method to this one particular work you know so i feel like you could go on all kinds of directions the there's only so many times you can make a joke of like being sarcastically you know they're they're the biggest band in the world and everybody laughs because it's they're not really funny and interesting is actually do both in a weird meta way where you have like so like famously uh aristotle's poetics was destroyed or not poetics the poetics survived because they only dealt with tragedy there was another part of the poetics the comedy that was lost in particular there's a copy at alexandria but the library of alexandria burned down Mm. so it would be funny to do like one episode that was from the year like 3000 that was like contemporary enough that like you had a grandpa who listened to it and like you could have direct sourcing right about it right um which would be like the the comedies because there was poems he was talking about there apparently that we don't have access to either you know Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a a double loss kind of thing not only does this cultural reference made here but the thing he was referencing was also lost so right it's a you know blind Double blind. But so you do that one and then you do the next one in the year like 4000 with the conceit that like a was that called the when a wave from the sun uh, like electro like it'll, it'll what is that called? Uh, not a Solar flare, flare, but it's not a flare because it'll, it'll actually affect electricity too, won't it? Isn't there? Solar, I guess a I solar, solar flare, flare could do will, that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So a f- solar flare hits a particular part of the earth that had the um the servers that contain all the servers for this content so it's like the the fire at alexandria it's like this the equivalent we lost everything Mm. but you're doing the first one and then the second one where they lost that thing that was lost (laughs) so 
double fragment on it too. Sure. I don't know. I'm just starting to. I'm doing the. Uh, there's a funny thing Michael Scott does when he wants to make his own commercial. He keeps going, and then we zoom in and we realize that you're in a desert. And then you zoom in and you realize you're in a sandbox and a little kid's playing with it, you know, and he just keeps going further and further. And like the guy's obviously, okay, okay, that's, that's, that's enough. And then you zoom in and he keeps going and going. That's, I think, where we're at with me. A little bit. So maybe that's a good marker to take a break and forget all of that happened. It's all going to probably cap me out anyways, which is a freeing thing. Ask him. I realized, because there was a lot in the last episode that was released as well, there is a chicken or the egg conversation here. Should we should we uh, reveal which one came first? The cats that would constantly come into the room and meow really loud, or the fact that we had cat meows <laughs> as part of the infrastructure of the podcast? We talked about that? No. Oh. I'm saying we could. We why could do that reveal. Why is it... A- you said something about the last episode. I listened to the last episode, and there was a lot of this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking. He was. He was in so the room. it was, was one of those things loud, where yeah. did we get obsessed with the cat meows because it was like you know art reflecting life kind of thing, or is this life reflecting art? This is life reflecting art because I chose the cat meows not because of this particular cat, but because in fact this no when we started doing this this cat wasn't around. We were over at the other location. Yeah. We were in the echo chamber. Cats weren't there. Echo chamber. Yes. With Slimer. I believe you're confusing Echo with Ecto, <laughs> which was the name of the Ghostbusters vehicle, the Ecto-1. And uh, the movie featured a ghost named Slimer, who then became a prominent sidekick in the The Real Ghostbusters animated series. Every time I hear The Real in a title, it makes me want to go back and do The Fake just to have like the counterweight, mm-hmm. you know, have the bizarro Batman version out there. You know, that it's the same urge that uh, Mitch Hedberg had the joke about, like, seeing, I can't remember which pizza place was a pizza place who was like, we'll match any competitor's offer. It's like, that makes me want to get a pizza store and go buy one pizza, get a free franchise building. (laughs) And then like, you know, it's a little way of trying to get around it. Well, it works for him and offer only exclusive to Domino's or whatever the pizza place was. Mm hmm. So yeah, let's get a moment, um, and then we'll be back. I like having a theme because it um, gets me like in a mode and in a mood, and I can like center myself having somewhere. A theme, a, theme, a, a, a uh, special, you know, with the autosode and the or not the autosode, the friendsisode and the buzzisode and stuff like that. Um, I feel disoriented. I feel actually not disoriented. Without a theme? Uh, rudderless. Without That's, a theme. Yeah. No, I just commenting that I, I like having a theme, I All guess. Right. So it's up to you. It's your call, man. If you want to make things have a theme, you ask my opinion. And I said it's a little little bit of a light theme to be like yeah this this episode's theme is like bro no but we have all the time in the world to make these segments fit into a theme. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't all have to be done tonight. We're not doing a live show. So yeah, it's something we can talk off mic. We don't have to. I was glad we shared the things that we did. I think all of that is cuttable. Everything should be capped me out to this moment. I'm just amazed that we're still doing this and just happy to be here, frankly. What else am I going to do with my Saturday nights? So um, let's take a moment and we'll get back to something. Soup's on. 
This is a segment that we're starting to call Theologians Don't Know Nothing. And uh, I wanted to play a little bit of the namesake in case there's some... Uh, in case there's some people who've never heard of the song before and have I no idea help. why we're saying theologians don't mean nothing. Yeah. You said what? I, I said by Wilco. The band Wilco. The last thing we did had a theologian segment. Yeah, that'll be last episode. Last autosode. There was a lot of talk about prayer, about meditation. I've had some thoughts and I kind of want to go on the other side of the scale. And we were talking about meditation. We were talking about prayer before. Now I want to talk about atheism. And I want to, in particular, talk about why I do not call myself an atheist. I think, well, we, we'll get into uh, the, the quotes I want to explore. And I think they will demonstrate more closely of why I would not call myself an atheist why i don't prescribe towards atheism if we're just going to give some highlights here real quick we'll get into the degree later one part of it is the fact that i feel like there's a similarity between the religious and the atheists when it comes to anthrocentrism and then the other side of atheism that i want to explore has to do with not leaving oneself open to possibility. And maybe we should just do this one at a time and not get ahead of ourselves. Because that one's a little bit more to unpack and it has a little bit more about it. In particular, I am going to introduce as part of my evidence of why I don't prescribe towards atheism is two celebrities who are quite, um, I don't know if, famously but well-known atheists minds um both of them are british both of them are comedians uh the first one we will talk about is stephen fry Mm -hmm. and if you know who stephen fry is then this is not a surprise of his atheism he is a pretty uh vocal Mm -hmm. atheist and so um this will go to the anthrocentricism Mm -hmm that why I can't prescribe to his atheism. And um, in an interview, he said, there are insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did God do that to us? He could have, or you, he says, actually, you could have easily made an existence where that didn't exist. And um, I think it's a very common trope for the atheist. Why give children cancer? Why give them bone cancer? What's your, your end game here? And I feel like when it comes to... And I don't like using the word God because it has so much wrapped up into it. I prefer using divine force or whatever. Like I want it to be a little bit more detached than a word like God. Mm-hmm. It's like God's got too much baggage. Mm-hmm. So if you believe in him though, whether or not you call him God, but let's even just use that Christian standard of God. Also all going from the same text of the Judeo form and of the Muslim form, 
of what God is. He built everything in seven days. Mm-hmm. Six days because he took a rest on the seventh day, right? He built the trees. He built the birds. He built the one cell being and also the humans. Mm-hmm. The multi-celled. The epitome multi-celled. Why is it that the atheists will try to prove the absence of God because they do these terrible things to humans, but they'll also talk so big about how humans are doing all these terrible things to the world. It's humans that have taken care of all these, that have extinct all these species. It's humans that are deforesting. It's humans that are creating climate change. But how can there be a God if they're trying to get rid of us humans? You fucking solved your own problem. You are the problem. <laughs> like, of course, he's going to, God's going to make some kind of mechanism to try to help get rid of you guys because there's way too much of you and you're fucking everything up. You know what I mean? Like, if you're, if God's supposed to be a constant gardener, we are a pretty invasive weed that is hurting a lot of stuff around us. And that's something if I was, if it was in my garden, I'd be getting rid of actively. I would be trying to pull that stuff out. So I don't like the argument the atheists make of like why, especially such a a potent image, an insect's whole life cycle is to go into, to be inside, have their larva inside the eyes of a child and then push out. But it's like, you're taking the child's perspective and that's understandable because you're a human, but like he's supposed to be a divine force that's watching after everything. So it isn't, he's described as a maniac by Stephen Fry. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's like, if you really understood what life is, no, he's trying to make fail safe so that things aren't made worse. You know, if we're getting any kind of protection from a divine force, things like cancer and all these bad things that are terrible things to deal with and are really fucked up, they're a necessary evil if you're God. Like, you need to have a balance, you know, just in the same way that people have to die. There has to be that balance. You can't have things being constantly born and then live forever. That's not going to work. There's, there's no way that that works, you know? Like, the earth has to have a balance. And that insect, even though it seems very cruel to the human, like I said, it's anthropocentric. Mm. It's all centered around what humans want. But if you look at the big balance of the situation, mm-hmm. I had a fish tank. My one and only fish tank. <laughs> um, we had clownfish there was this kind of cool um eel kind of thing and a red oscar the red oscar ate both those other bastards <laughs> he, he like and we threw food for all of them enough like but he just he was gonna eat those motherfuckers like he, he was just gonna have that dominance this is my shit and oscars will fucking grow the whole size of a you know big fish tank like a fish tank you would see in someone's living room i guess not a fucking you know yeah i get you yeah 
So uh, they will literally grow to the size of their environment. And um, that's part of the thing about balance is that like you put an Oscar in a huge fucking sea. <laughs> the reason why Oscar grew up the way it did was because it was used to that big wide open spaces. Um, I find it really funny that uh, people don't consider enough that two thirds of the entire planet is water. Just ocean. It's a fucking lot. <laughs> like we think that, Oh, things are so easy. It's just so simple. And we have all this land. It was like, no, but there's like another two thirds that we have no idea what's going on. You know what I mean? And it should be a lot to our comprehension of what this world is. And it's not, given pop proper perspective by us land lovers. <laughs> so that's Stephen Fry. That's why he sucks. <laughs> um, so this next one, the next one, I generally agree with this sentiment, but on further meditations, I have some thoughts. So this is the part that I really like, and this is by another very famous British, again, atheist, uh, Ricky Gervais. He said, there shouldn't even be a word for atheism. There isn't a word for not believing in theory, in fairies. And that bit I, I really do like. It's, there's a, I think that's funny, and there's some truth to that. And then he goes on to, this is atheism in a nutshell. One person says, there is a God. An atheist says, can you prove that? They say, no. The atheist says, I don't believe you. That's it. That's all there is. That is atheism. Um, and I align more to this and prescribe to this because I have this skepticism. There's a Cartesian skepticism. And I don't like the idea that you think your story's right and everybody else's story is wrong. And that's why you're right. It's like another famous thing Ricky Gervais said is that he said this to Stephen Colbert, I think, because um, he's a notorious Catholic. Ricky Gervais goes, yeah, well, you, you'd say there's probably about like 3,000 gods something, somewhere in that ballpark. It's like, yeah, yeah, I guess. It's like, this is the thing. I don't believe in 3,000 gods. You don't believe in 2,999 gods. I only believe in one less god than you. You know? So, like, who are you to say that I'm wrong? Because it's really a difference of only one god compared to all the gods that have been on Earth. Um, and I think that's a potent image. And I think that's with this idea that what can you prove? I think there's some value there in the reason why organized religions are wrong. But this is my problem with atheism. And I think in a particular brand of atheism, and I'm not going to say in particular that Ricky Gervais would be this brand of atheism, but um, it's the danger of his words by saying this. The idea, can you prove it? There would be plenty of religious people that would say, absolutely, I can prove it. Look at the sunshine. Look at, you know, this thing. Look at that thing. And Ricky Gervais go, well, no, no, that's just science. That's just, that's just the world around you. 
that isn't proof of your God. And there would be other people, okay, look at the Shroud of Turin. Look at this. Look at the other. And Ricky Gervais would go, oh, yeah, well, that's just, you know, people putting colors into a fucking cloth. That isn't a proof of God. And this is my thing with atheism is that at some point there could be, okay, here you are, the pearly gates. Here's Jesus. Here's God himself. Here's everything that would need to prove that, yes, this is the way. Well, this is just, you know, CG art. This is just somebody made a big voice over here. This is a don't look behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz. You know, like every piece point proof that there is a God and they still wouldn't believe it because they are so hellbent. Their identity is tied in with the fact of their denial of that thing. Their heart isn't open to the idea of it at all. So they will look and they will try to pick away at every little point in order to not mess up their real conception of it. And so that's another reason why I think atheism is can be dangerous. I think there's a mental thing about it. I think there's certain people are not open to the idea that there could be a divine force and there's no way you could possibly prove it to them. I want to get into my final thing of this, my belief, because I want to distinguish from what the religious do. I'm now distinguishing from what the atheists do. I think that we as humanity are chimps in a Picasso museum. If you're a chimpanzee, you go through the cubism cubism the cubism mm -hmm. of picasso you don't know what a triangle is you don't know what a square is you don't know what a rectangle is you don't know pythagorean theorem you don't know all that shit you can still go up there and look and see hey that's an amazing looking painting you go over to guernica you don't know who franco is you don't know the destruction that happened to that town you don't know all that history, but you can go up there and say, hey, that affected me. And actually, that happened to me because I'm not Spanish at all. And when I look at that as an American, I have those feelings that this is something amazing and important and this affects me. And I know who Franco is. I have that little bit of context. But as a chimp, you can go there and just see it and be affected by it. But you don't know what it means to have a paintbrush in your hand. You don't know what Franco was in those social contexts. And then let's even go bigger than that. There's the historical man. It's not even the, the thing sitting there on the wall anymore. The picture and the paints and all of that that this chimp has to process. Mm. They have to also process this personal history and where actually how significant should it be? Like, mm. and the context of even within I'm looking at Guernica, how amazing this, Oh, this guy's all also a huge creep and fucking that needs to be put into account. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think a, a chimp puts that into account? <laughs> Probably not is my, my, under yeah. 
my limited understanding of chimp psychology yeah. is is no. He's not putting into account the brushstrokes. He's not putting into account the the history of Franco. He's not putting into account what Cubanism is. He's not putting into account to what the painter's own biography is and all those things. Mm. And we, as entities existing on this earth, are the chimps in the Picasso Museum. We are the ones looking around and we can go and look and say, oh my God, it's a beautiful sunset. Oh, I'm so happy I'm alive. I just fucking just want to be with people. Like, I this thing makes me so happy. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Oh, this thing makes me fucking terrible. I don't ever want to exist again. All those feelings happen for us, but we're the chimps looking at the Picasso. We have no idea all this other stuff going behind it. Mm-hmm. And we can't. There's no way for us to get there. And that's my view of religion and where we are on a metaphysical sense and that concludes another theologian all right <laughs> um, i don't know um how about we just take a, a moment and a break sure. yeah and um let's get some soup on let's get some soup on Anyway, so record yourself doing it and email it back to us. You need to make are we on the specify are, are we there. aren't we on the type five still? All I heard was record yourself doing it and send it back to us. I will direct you by lukewarm, obviously. What you ask for. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh. No, we are not on the type five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not. We don't. You said something about the type five. So I thought that we were still there. No. Is the soup on? Soup's on? Is that where we're at? We're in Meta World Peace. All right. New segment. New segment. Don't know how we got here. Um, I blame. Okay. So I definitely know the climate. And actually, um, it's becoming a harder and harder argument because fucking of a very recent especially cryptocurrency is taking a hard hard hit meta world peace though i guess let's give a little a little bit of context to that title and why i'm calling it that meta world peace is what ron artest gave his name in nba in the nba yeah uh, well it, he has a funny history because if you're going to remember something about Ron Artest, it is going to be punching a fan, right? Probably, yeah. yes. But, I mean, he's... He played for the Indiana Pacers. He was with the Sacramento Kings when he changed his name to Middle World Peace. Yeah. And it was pretty obviously a rebranding I kind mean, of thing. Oh, the guy who beat up people in the fans? Uh, Middle World Peace. Yeah, that sounds nice. I mean... Let's, uh, let's, let's do that. I just like the idea of, uh, in a weird way, I'm trying to present a defense for the metaverse. <laughs> so naming it Neto- Meta World Peace, trying to have a um, you know wink to the Ron Artest mm-hmm. name. But I do want to point out the fact that like, um, this is not like a pro NFT thing going on here you're not gonna try and sell me dogecoin yeah yeah no this is not pro um cryptocurrency this is not pro uh, nft 
Take that, Brenda. Um, in fact, okay, let's just get into it. The problem with the metaverse conversation. All right. Should you describe for people who don't know what the metaverse is? In case they think we're talking about like the Marvels, like, you know, it's multiverse. hard. It's hard because it's like you have to start explaining the blockchain. And I guess there's a certain you have to be so tall to enter this ride mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, right. I'm going to make the assumption that you know what the blockchain is. I'm going to make the assumption that you know. So the metaverse, I do want to talk about something to make a distinction. It is very easy for a lot of companies right now to say, oh, we're going to do this and this on the metaverse. We're going to like the metaverse is not a place. No one's going to make the metaverse. Google is going to make the metaverse. Apple is not going to make the metaverse. It's like the Internet. It's a thing like it could be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. It's a decentered thing where you can't say that Google owns the metaverse. You know what I mean? Right. Like, Google will talk about what they're going to do, but this is just their core. It, it's, it's, it's like piracy and land Google, and Google stuff like that. Google shut down tomorrow and they have be an, an internet. island that will be the metaverse, but that isn't the metaverse. They're not, no one's creating the metaverse. There's not one single fact faction that is doing the metaverse it's a conglomerate of um metaphysical state if you will it's a really weird way to say it but it's kind of yeah uh i mean it's it's, a conglomerate stretch but sure metaphysical i think is the wrong word there yes that is Uh, definitely the key key misstep there you know it's never a misstep interactive not interactive is not the right word either though it won a fucking blue ribbon, people. What more do you want from your beer? Doesn't matter who. Assholes. This beer's here for you, and what are you doing? Asking what it's done for you lately? Fuck off, Karen. Think. And drink your goddamn paps. Think Second Life. There's a technological barrier in difference, right? That's the metaverse. You can do everything that you did in your real life mm-hmm. in the metaverse, but you have a level of separation because it's happening from a screen. Sure. And you have an avatar and all okay. that kind of stuff. But it still exists on this. Okay, so the blockchain is important. I feel like I, you're... I do, like, we need to explain the blockchain in this fact. I just... Are you sure you're not talking about the movie Ready Player One? Yeah. Okay, just checking. Uh, we do need to explain the blockchain in this fact. Mm-hmm. The idea of the blockchain which is really innovative. There is not one single point of, there's no keystones. The idea is that what it is, is that, you know how it's like chain mail, right? If you just had a big block of steel and you put it on top, it would do a certain amount of protection, but every little chain is hooked onto each other and Mm. it's actually stronger because each little piece on that chain will make it impenetrable. Like you can still find a weak spot in a plate armor, but the chain mill doesn't have a weak spot that can penetrate an arrow through because they're all connecting with it's each other. It's an overlap, yeah. 
Right. Um, I thought you meant chain mail like, hello, I'm a prince from Nigeria, and if you give me your social security number and your mother's corpse uh, and your father's porn, I will send you $10,000 in in gold cougarans. I am really glad we cleared this up then. So that's, that's what the blockchain is, essentially. Everything that came up to you has a server that has a documentation of it. Mm-hmm. And everything happening while that's happening mm-hmm. has its own server. Mm-hmm. And every time something happens, there's another level of verification. There's another chain put on the armor mm-hmm. to help that become a stronger source. Right. So that's important to understand about the blockchain and why it is actually quite revolutionary and hopefully <laughs> that was the f- pool oh it's a pool okay yeah. <laughs> i had the window open because it was hot up here yeah right and here. that's and the pool yeah vacuum now we can on. hear it in full force okay i closed the window that's the best you're gonna get kids gang turns out the theme is buzzisode two the rebuzzing. oh okay so this is the thing you understand now the idea of the blockchain and the premise there with the chain meal analogy. Right. So this is the problem with the metaverse and how it's been represented to us. The metaverse conversation is centered around extravagance, right? It's centered around $5 billion NFTs um, paying tens of millions of dollars to have a crib next to Snoop Dogg. It's the same shit with the Tesla and, you know, just the whole... Tesla the person or Tesla is in the cars that blow up? The cars. Okay. It's this idea of this extravagance into the future. Mm. Where the metaverse is important is in the boring shit. Mm-hmm. Right? It's shit like healthcare and banking. This is why, actually, the metaverse could actually... The metaverse actually could be useful. It could, like I said, meta world peace. It could, the metaverse actually could lead to a better world. Mm-hmm. It, think about it this way, doctors, right? Mm-hmm. The medical information that's shared, because you get your general practitioner, right? Does he ever really work on anything? No, he sends you to a specialist. But that has to be shared. And then... After he sends you that specialist, you go back to them, but then you have to go to a pharmacist and they have to know what medication not only is coming from your general practitioner, but they're also coming from the specialist the general practitioner sent you to. The amount of bullshit that is fucking created with not being able to share those files is amazing. Oh, yeah. Like our healthcare system. Despite the fact that, um, you know, it can be improved quite a bit by uh, the whole monetization stuff and all that, like getting it as Americans and the fact that we don't have free health care. No, it can be improved by the metaverse. It can be improved by the idea that like all of these entities within your health mm-hmm. are now synced up because every time you go to one of them. It's a link in the chain. Every time you go to your general practitioner first, 
there's that documentation through the blockchain of what they did. You go to that specialist, there's that documentation. You go to the um, pharmacist, and then the pharmacist, his documentation will lead the general practitioner to be able to properly give you the right medications. You know, it, everything gets intertwined better. The other thing I think that is important, and I, I, I want to kind of have in the forefront here, mm -hmm. when this idea of the metaverse and the, the documentation, mm -hmm. right? When you go from one thing to the other, if you're going there as like an avatar, right? I feel like, and why I called it meta world peace, I feel like some of the human bias can actually be taken away. I feel like, you know, just statistically we know that there are things that people of color will not be diagnosed with or be overly diagnosed with. There's a bias mm -hmm. there, right? Right. And I feel like one of the biggest arguments with the metaverse mm -hmm. Uh, that's going to continue down this road is that you got an avatar there. There's a complete release of bias. Like everything is documented before you, you know exactly what's going on when you get in there. You have absolute proof of what's going on. There's no risk of fraud, mm -hmm. but also there's no risk of bias. There's no risk that, Oh, well, because I'm a person of color, I'm not going to get, that medical procedure or I'm going to get that medical procedure wrongly because I'm a person of color. Mm -hmm. Like there is a, a check system there that could help relieve some of the racial social bias that that's happening uh, when it comes to the medical profession, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And let's just go full bore Al Gore and get to my other point. I think that actually that, ties into the other realm that I think that it's going to be super important in. Mm -hmm. And that is the financial realm. Like I said, everyone imagines the metaverse. They're talking about real estate and hanging out in clubs with 50 cent and NFTs and all this stuff. No, it's fucking uh, banks and hospitals. <laughs> this, is, this is where things are actually going to fucking change the world. <laughs> the most boring shit possible. But this is actually a very important thing. And like I was talking about, for the same reason of the mixed diagnosis, also um, with wealth inequality, like there is a constant progression of documentation and you know exactly what is happening. And I feel like it is a lot less probable in the metaverse that someone has the capability to be racially biased towards a loan because it can be documented. It can be reassessed. Someone can say, you know, Hey, I call a mulligan. I think they're being fucking racist to me. Mm -hmm. Someone can go in and they can get every step of the fucking thing. And right. it's the thing about like, um, you know, purchasing a property or something like that. Like there are a lot of steps in every way, they can claim, oh, they just didn't meet the requirement. But it's like, when that's truly put under scrutiny, 
there is an algorithm. There is a way to say, oh, yeah, you can't just say, oh, I trust his face. So that's why I gave him the loan. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like there has to be some definitive kind of shit there. And there's a real hiding mechanism, I think, without having everything out open and without being able to like we have instant replay for football and baseball games. You saying we can't have instant replay with loans? <laughs> we can't have somebody else be there in the booth, be like, "Oh no, that's racist as shit." They, they, they deserve that loan, you know? Like that that should be functioning. Mm-hmm. That should be there should be a fail safe there that says, "Oh no, this person has a bias. Maybe let's let's have some kind of." governing thing that makes sure that that doesn't happen anymore that someone Mm -hmm. just because they're a person of color just because they're a woman or just because whatever the hang-up may be Mm -hmm. eliminate that bias and i feel like the blockchain will do that not only do you have that documentation but if you think about this way Mm -hmm. remember that movie uh scanner darkly yeah the one that was uh all like a rotoscope Right. Animation with uh, Keanu Reeves. I think Winona Ryder was in but it. But the bit was that Keanu Reeves, he was this detective or whatever like that. But like, Yeah, he was an undercover cop. He was an undercover cop, right? But he was also interacting. But like when he was with the cop, his face wasn't definite, right? Yeah, so that they couldn't wreck. So nobody could... Uh... Identify him on the road and do that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. If you went into the, a financial situation with that kind of ambiguity and you only had to be judged on your merits, then you would be left with an unbiased, you know, racial equal situation. Yes. And so, in that way, I think the metaverse would be a great boon to society. We need to propagate that as much as possible. In the medical and financial spheres alone, Mm -hmm. not to say that there aren't a lot of other places, it could be very important, but those places alone, I think there's huge potential for the metaverse. And uh, like I said, it's the boring shit. It's CPAs. It's, 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 it's fraud will be a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. With the idea of the blockchain, mm-hmm. you can't commit fraud on the blockchain. You've had every step of the way somebody putting that stamp on it and then throwing it to a data fucking server somewhere. It could be at your house. Yeah. You can have your own as well. And that's where it's like the other important thing is that it isn't necessarily just because you're fucking Bezos, you have all the power now. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. You have your farm. You put it on your server. You say, hey, fuck you. I have documentation too. You fucked me earlier and I can prove it. Mm-hmm. All of these legal things that try so hard and do all this stuff of proving and stuff like that. No. Every time you go into a contract on the metaverse, there's a step-by-step documentation Mm -hmm. it's um the way that dna kind of changed the game for csi you know Mm -hmm. what i mean (laughs) that's on another level what the metaverse can do it can Mm. with the blockchain it can really change on how we look at everything like how the nuance and we just the traces fragments 
we can actually follow that thread. It doesn't have to just be he said, she said anymore. Mm -hmm. You can actually be there in real time and be, oh, no, this is actually what happened. And you can have third-party arbiters, and it can, in my opinion, it has the potential to eliminate a lot of prejudices by having that third-person arbiter. Mm -hmm. Have somebody to fight against it. Mm -hmm. You know, you have you have empirical data you know what i mean like before it was just like oh that black family didn't deserve that farm we didn't want to give it to them you mm -hmm. know and maybe that's just more potent because that was my medium in agriculture but it's like it can be like oh wait they had everything this white family did why oh it's because you're a racist motherfucker you didn't want to give that from them. Mm -hmm. You know, that gets thrown out the door because you have a documentation every time in the metaverse. You have the blockchain that pushes it through networks, everything that happens there. Mm -hmm. So it's really sad that we always have to go through that phase of how can we make a buck mm -hmm. when it comes to any good new technology, you know, right? Uh, electricity. You know, you name it. You you know just as well as me. And I feel like that's what's going on with the metaverse right now. And it won't be until like 30, 40 years down the line. Like I said, it won't be till like all the nerds get a hold of it and like, oh shit, we can do all this cool, boring shit with it. Mm -hmm. You know? I see fucking value in it in uh, negotiations with farmers and their crops on the world market. You know? Like, we know we live on a world market. Even if it get fucks up here in the U.S., the Europe Europeans will start doing it because it's the right thing to do. Or, you know, the Chinese will do it. Whatever culture will pick up the torch. I do believe in some Darwinian kind of stuff behind it. But it's it's so much better than our current healthcare and uh, financial systems. And frankly, in my opinion, that isn't, like, where the story ends. Like, education be fucking revolutionized by the same ideas like it's not just these two spheres but i think it's demonstrated best in them firstly because they're the most broken and then secondly just um it feels so natural the fixes and so easy and accessible of um the medical field and the financial field like they're both desperately needing the change. Otherwise, they're going to go both under. <laughs> so the metaverse is the natural fit in order to make it all work. In a, a bigger sense, it really is the key to life in general. Everyone thinks it's like the big glory that all the fucking big cool stuff. Life is the boring stuff. Like, it really is. Like... Everyone wants it to be these great big gestures and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, every once in a while, you find something amazing in the monotony. But really, life is about the boring stuff. Life is, you know, the putting away the fucking trash bins and cleaning up poop. And, you know, just like, I just need to take care of this. That's why I mentioned those things. Cause they're just things like I need to take doing dishes, doing laundry, you know, making your bed, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's the boring stuff is this big part of life that everyone wants to put under the fucking carpet and just make it be like, but that actually what makes it run. That's actually what makes it 
appeasable. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. Why do we have to have a sexy, exciting life? Why can't we just be boring? Why can't it all be boring? And again, you know, we talked about Brad Pitt earlier. Oh, he's the one that's got that sexy, exciting life. Like we said, his life is probably so much more boring than ours. He can't go outside. He can't go out in public, you know? Like, all the exciting things is seeing someone else do something cool. He can't see other people do cool shit. He can't go to a concert. He can't fucking enjoy GJ Jazzy Jeff and uh, all of his amazing capabilities. Hey, he probably can. He just does it from backstage. Like, he just calls a guy, and a guy's like, yeah, I got you a backstage pass. And then he, like, goes, and he's backstage, and he's like, what's up, Jeff? And he's like, what's up, Brad? And they're like, good to see you, man. How's the kids? Oh, doing good. How's how's the kids? Oh, doing good, you know? like. I don't need to talk more about currency. I, I, I... Yeah, fuck Brenda. I'm already feeling a little weird. Jerked by lukewarm. About talking about all this. Um, Fuck Brenda. If you have like a nice way to tie the bow up and get out of here. I don't know how to get out of here. Soup's on. I want to get out of here. We can always just say soup's on. Soup's on. The Nerd Obscurial Podcast is a Gadzooks and Nerd production. That's Gadzooks, G-A-D-Z-O-O-K-S. Find us on the web at gadzooksandnerd.com slash meow. Yes, meow. M-E-O-W. If you like the music, you can find more at gadzooksandnerd.com slash fields. That's fields, F-I-E-L-D-S. The Nerd Obscurial Podcast and its content are, except for the steal this joke joke, the wholly owned and copyrighted property of Gadzooks and Nerd. So don't go stealing any of it, except, of course, for the steal this joke joke, or we'll have to sick big pretzel on you. Any works, products, content, Concepts or otherwise intellectual property not owned by Gadzooks and Nerd, mentioned or discussed in the Nerd Obscurial podcast, are done so under fair use for the purposes of commentary, critique, and obviously comedy. So please don't sue us because we can't actually sick big pretzel on anyone. The views, ideas, opinions, and beliefs expressed in the Nerd Obscurial podcast are solely those of its creator and your esteemed host, Eric the Troubadour, and do not represent the views, opinions, or beliefs of any individual or entity named, referenced, or alluded to in this podcast, including but not limited to Mystery Science Theater 3000, Leonard Nimoy, The Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and his parent companies, The Buggles, me, The Oklahoma Kid, Ron Artest and his parent companies, Stephen Colbert, The Library of Congress, my wife and her parent companies, The Great State of Oklahoma, and of course, all cats everywhere on the internet. Hail Cthulhu.